fellow community, welcome to the podcast. Our goal is to help you become more effective so that your church can become more effective. And we figured that God's plan for the world involved the local church. And so if we can help the local church be the best it can by investing in you, that's what we want to be about. And we do that through this podcast, through the Philo Cohorts, the Philo Conference, May 2nd and 3rd. 2023 and our book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas. And as I'm recording this intro, I'm coming off a couple days of a retreat and I had some work that took me to Boulder, Colorado. So I thought I should take advantage of being that close to the mountains, like they were literally at the end of the street. And so I got an Airbnb and I took some time to recharge, to dream about the year ahead and to work on a couple of projects that I've never given enough time to. Above all that, to journal and spend some time with God. And I came away with a couple of key learnings. The Rocky Mountains are beautiful, number one. It had just snowed for the first time, so it was beautiful to walk some of the trails. The other thing is that I'm not used to being at 9,000 feet above sea level. That is not cool. I had trouble breathing. Yeah, I don't know that I'd experienced that before. Another big idea I usually walk away with is that I should do this more often, to step outside the busyness of life and think about what really matters, what the important things are in life. You know, not just the super urgent things that are staring at me every day, but above all that. And it was really a great time. And yeah, I owe a lot to my wife for letting me go and spend a couple days, but uh, yeah super, super great thing. And speaking of super urgent, I'm sure that you've noticed that all the stores have Christmas decorations out and that Christmas music is everywhere. And it is only the beginning of November. And this also means that Christmas services are right around the corner for you. And when I was at Willow Creek, I mean, we started everything, like all the planning and stuff was happening, but like the giant push was the week after Thanksgiving. So that's not too far away. And before you and your schedule get swallowed by Christmas, I would just encourage you to set aside some time, maybe not two days in the mountains, but some time to look above the giant task list in front of you and to think for a few moments about how you want your post-Christmas life to look like. And then come up with a plan to make it there now. You don't necessarily have to be in the mountains to do this. Just a couple hours in a local coffee house, just time to look beyond the super urgent to the really important stuff. And like I said, my wife was super gracious to give me time to go. I mean, all my kids are grown. And so there's a little more capacity for me to be out of town, but she knows that I'm a better person when I have the time to really contemplate the type of person I wanna be. And you and your family, you need to set aside that time to develop a plan to make it to the other side of Christmas with everyone still loving you at the end of it, yourself included. And this is one of those classic make space for the large rocks before you take up all the space with the small ones. Illustrations, I'm sure you've seen it. And it won't happen by accident. And believe me, I've tried a bunch and it doesn't work. So one of those big rocks is taking care of yourself spiritually during the season. And we've got a great resource for you during this time that I'll talk about more at the end of the podcast. But before the end of the podcast, let's get to the conversation I had with Rusty Anderson. I mean, you know Rusty because he's everywhere. He's doing all the really cool things, and he's done a bunch of Philo breakouts over the years. He's video directed the Passion Conference, among other things, and you might recognize him from MXU's training videos. I mean, he and I had a chance to work together. We've been doing a lot together, but actually worked together on the Global Leadership Summit this past year. And we were talking over a meal during that time that it would be great to have him on the podcast just to talk about a bunch of the stuff that will hopefully be helpful to you. So without further ado, let's jump in. How's it going, Rusty? It's going great, Todd. It's good to be with you guys. Yeah. I have to say, I Googled your name earlier That's today. Scary. <laughs> 
Yeah, and like I didn't know that you could play guitar so well. <laughs> that was the whoever I was uh, Rusty Anderson, some guitar player. I think player. there's some like uh, apparel company out there that's like has I think the owner owner is Rusty Anderson. Okay. Yeah. I wish <laughs> yeah. I was that guy probably. Right. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So world famous Rusty Anderson joining us today. So yeah, thanks for making time. Why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of what it is you do and maybe part of your journey of how you got to this place? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, what I do right now has kind of changed a lot over the years. I think everything comes in seasons. Yeah. In the last couple of years, I have, I'm a freelancer, which I guess what you would, what would you call it? And I almost strictly do live video production. So mostly that's sure corporate shows, conferences, concerts, a little bit of touring, not a ton, and then a ton of work with churches, with my church, Passion City and Passion Conferences, but also with churches all around the country and, you know, love being a part of the Philo community and MXU and all those kind of outlets that I get to be a part of. So God's really blessed me in that, that I get to really focus on what I feel like is what I'm best at, which is yeah, yeah. the live video part of it. A quick version of how I got here is senior year of high school. So that'd been like 2003-ish. <laughs> I'm dating myself a little bit there. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so I was at a church in my hometown of Gainesville, Georgia, and we were opening up a new building. And uh, as part of that new building was a whole bunch of new technology. So at that point, okay. we didn't really have much. But in this new building, we were going to have a couple of cameras for the first time, some moving lights, wow. you know, maybe haze, depending on the day, if we were allowed to do it or not. Yeah. And so as a part of that, like, build up to this new building, obviously, we needed new, we needed a bunch more people to help pull off these services. And at the time, I really did nothing with production. I was involved with my youth group a lot, but knew nothing about anything production related. Okay. But our music minister at the time was looking for someone to, I had gotten wind that he was looking for someone to run PowerPoint for like the screen in the back of the room so that the choir oh, could okay. you know, have the chord charts and all that kind of stuff. Sure, yeah. And it was literally PowerPoint at that point. So he was looking for someone to do it. I had found that out. I was also interested in his daughter. And so I said, great, yeah, I'll <laughs> sign up and I'll do it. Because his daughter was in the band and did some, did like some service programming stuff. Sure. She was, she was in the youth group. I knew her. <laughs> so I signed up to do to run PowerPoint, and uh, I guess almost that was about 20 or 19 years ago, and we're, we're now okay. we've been married for 15 years. So it Oh, there out. we go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's hope out there for you people. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but And I think it also it says there's no bad reason to recruit somebody for totally. serving yeah. on the team. <laughs> I mean, a 17-year-old kid, you got to take whatever reason you can get sometimes. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, there were some awesome people in that church. Some pe- the, the man and his wife, John and Peggy McIntyre, were running the product, the running technology, you know, in the church at that point. Sure. And they kind of yeah, took yeah. me under their wing and just, I was just soaking it all in, learning how to run graphics at first and then sure. learning how to program lights on Light Jockey and nice. uh, we had a video yeah. toaster was our, our video switcher. Yes. So I learned how to do that. <laughs> I never, I, audio was not my thing. I don't have an ear for that. So uh-huh. I, st- I, you know, I could turn the console on, but that's about it. Yeah. But that, that just kind of started me in, in, the, in the journey of production at, at our church. And all through college for the next four years, Kirsten and I would drive back. We w- w- went to UGA about an hour away. Oh, sorry to hear that. Oh, what are you talking about? It's the greatest yeah. city in the no, world. No, 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 no. <laughs> Auburn University. That's the, oh. the loveliest village on the plains, baby. Man. Sorry. I went I, to school I forgot, there. So I know. I, I forgot you went yeah. there. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oldest rival That's okay. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna destroy us. Yes. You know, yes, we when, when it comes time. But <laughs> anyway, so yeah, every every weekend we would drive back to our home church 
because she was in the band, she played bass guitar, and then she also got into more service programming, kind of creative okay. programming kind of stuff. And I was just kept doing production and directing and running lights, all that kind of stuff. So it was just a great time to learn all of that and learn that world and have people that kind of let me learn and let me make mistakes and help me to just kind of pique my interest in it. And then I also met, met a really good friend, uh, a, dear, a dear friend named AJ, who taught me all about post-production, so filming and editing and that storytelling part of it. And uh, so that was, that was huge in my journey, uh, just to get that, that part of it where you can have time to set up a scene, light it correctly, edit it, put it together, and really figure out how to tell the story. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which is, I think, hopefully we'll talk about later, is one of the foundational things of what I feel like I get to do now in the yeah. live world. So that was huge. And then, I mean, long, trying to make a long story short, we graduated college. I eventually went to seminary because I felt like my plan in life was to get my master's and then I was going to get my PhD and become a professor and teach Bible or oh, teach theology. Okay. So I went through three years of seminary, got my master's. Wow. And all through that three years of seminary, Passion City Church had started in Atlanta. And so Passion had been a huge part of our lives in college and 722 and all that history. Right. So when the church opened, we had just moved to Atlanta for school and looking for a church. So we started going there as soon as the doors opened. And God just opened a whole bunch of new, new avenues for me to kind of get back into that live video production world at Passion City Church. So all through seminary, just kept, kept finding opportunities. God was opening doors. And we got to the point at the end of seminary, and Kirsten and I were just kind of praying about what's next. And we felt like you know, this plan that we had in our minds about going and getting a PhD and becoming a professor, that God was saying, hey, we have a different plan for you. Uh, okay. I would love for you to help build my church with mm. what you're gifted at. And thankfully, I had learned through my master's program that sitting in a library all day researching was not what I was gifted at. Yeah. So <laughs> we said yes. And I became a freelancer at that point for the next few years. Oh, wow. Okay. Doing some live, live touring with Chris Tomlin, some passion, passion stuff. And then also some, I ran my own business with editing and vi video production on the okay. post world. When and would then, you have been on on tour with Chris Tomlin? What years was, I, was that? I think that was like 2012 to 2015 or something like that. Okay. So we must have met on one of those tours yes. coming through Willow Creek. Came through Creek Willow or, at some point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, That's sort of ringing a bell, like you set up in a corner backstage. Oh, yeah. With, yeah. Usually back by, by where the amps are. The guitar amps. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. What better place for the video director yeah. than they don't need to communicate to anyone. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, anyway, so I uh, did that, and then I was on staff. I went on staff at Passion City Church for about three years, leading our live video team and our film team while I was there, and then went to work with Renewed Vision for about a uh, little oh. under two years and helped okay. launch ProPresenter 7, led the development team for those uh, that, that season. Okay. And then right before the pandemic, wow. February 2020, I went freelance. Good and, for you. And yeah. then God still <laughs> answered all of our prayers. So it's been right, a good right. two years. Oh, wow. So I guess maybe what you're saying is if anybody has any challenges or complaints about ProPresenter 7, they can just come that to you. That is not what I'm saying <laughs> yeah. at all. There's a great support team that yeah. works there. They would be happy <laughs> to answer your questions. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that seems like, I mean, all sort of interconnected, but also, you know, very different from each other. Yeah, I just love that going to seminary and then just to have the courage to like get to the end of it and be like, yeah, this isn't probably for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy to do. No. And it's just, I mean, I, in those moments of life where it's like, you don't know what's next, 
the best thing you can do is just pray and listen. Yeah. And uh, we were grateful that God, he spoke pretty clearly to us in that season. We, we went away for a weekend and said, like, what, try to really listen. Like, what do we, what do we need to do? Yeah. And, and then said, okay, we'll trust you. And then just, yeah, went for it. Man. I just think about in my own life, the times that like that I could point to like that, that became pivotal in my own life. And just thinking about, okay, that's just like a few moments and how many other moments are happening all the time that I'm just like not quiet enough or not listening well, or not willing to follow, you know, just that. I'm sure I've missed so many along the way. Man. (laughs) And I'm just, I mean, I'm super thankful for the ones I was paying attention right. for. And for God's patience along the way. He's like, oh, you know, I mean, just, he's always there when we come back to ready to listen. Yeah, just waiting. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, man. Like I said, so grateful in my own life for being aware in those moments. And just when I look at people that aren't really sure what they should be doing with their lives and, you know, just like, yeah, just think about my own kids, just praying for them to have the courage to like be still and to follow, yeah. just like, yeah, life-changing for me anyway. Right. It sounds like for you and your wife and you got a couple kids, right? We have three kids. Oof. They are a couple three. <laughs> eight, six, and two, almost, well, basically nine, seven, and three, but almost, yeah. but they are, they are amazing. Keep us busy for sure. That's no joke, yeah. <laughs> My son, oldest, it's a son, daughter, daughter, so boy, girl, girl. Okay. And our son is, in the last six months, just golf crazy. Okay. Uh, he's got some clubs and he, every day, can we go to the range? Can we go play? Can we go play? <laughs> yeah. Which I love because I love golf. So yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been a fun season. Yeah, nice. Yeah, my youngest is trying to get me to play golf. So we live right almost across the street from a golf course. So we're just like, Perfect. let's go hit some balls. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we do. Or maybe we we have. We I wouldn't say it's like a normal thing, but yeah, we should do it more. Yeah. It's a good time. Good time to, I mean, just to be with your, with your kids. Right. I mean, when we go play, it's like, hey, let's go sit in the golf cart for two hours. Just you and me. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine that in the next few years <laughs> as he gets older and start, you know, he starts to have issues in his life and it, things that he has questions about that I'm hoping and praying that'll be a good time to really, you know, bond and unite with him. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Might as well start now. Yep. Well, he wants to spend time with you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Take what I can get right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. So when I think about like corporate work and, uh, you know, uh, Christian conferences or church service, it feels like there's a, a lot of similarities, but also a lot of differences. How do you, f- like, as you're approaching a different project, like, do you think about each one differently? Or are you at the baseline kind of just imagining, oh, these, I'm going to bring the same kind of lens to this as I would like anything? Yeah. I think if you were to look at the end product, whether it's a Sunday morning worship set or Sunday, you know, Sunday morning service, or a corporate talking head keynote speaker kind mm-hmm. of show, or the Dude Perfect tour. Yeah, I, I you, if you if you were to take the end product, you would think these are so these are very different, and there's yeah. there's probably not not no common thread. And and this, I would say there's probably some components that's true. Like yes, the gear may be totally different, but right. the reason the gear is different is because there is a common thread that every project that I get approached to talk to work on, I really want to first look at the lens of storytelling. So okay. what is the event we're trying to do? So it's a very practical, you know, questions about what's happening, who's on stage, how many people are on stage, what are they doing on stage? And then what is the purpose of this event? What is the message you're trying to get across? What is the, you know, what is the story you're trying to tell to whoever your audience is? Yeah. And I try to look through that lens 
and then use that lens to figure out what is the right kind of gear. If I have the ability or the freedom to choose gear or to recommend gear, switchers or cameras or lensing or whatever, I'm going to make those decisions based off like, through the through that filter, through that lens. And then, I mean, I'm trying to think just practically, like for if I'm doing something that's music related, like a Sunday morning, and I want to know the culture of the church, I want to know the 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 heart of the church. What's the music like? What's the, what is I mean? Is it traditional? Is it is it modern? Is it, what where are you going for in your worship? Yeah. And what are the components? Is it orchestra and choir, or is it a five piece band and a couple of worship leaders holding mics on the front sta- on the front of the stage? Those are like the specific things that I would want to know, uh-huh. but more broadly, there's like a way that I believe in music you can tell stories. So, and that would be more of like the emotional side of it. Right. So if I'm listening to the music, I can kind of feel out, hey, this is when the music gets really big and really loud and really energetic. So that probably means the people on stage are going to be energetic. Oh, that means that the lighting is going to get crazy. They're going to be like, you know, light sweeps or lights are going to flash. If there's scenic, LED walls or whatever. Like there, I can imagine there probably being some content that could be important at that moment. So I'm gonna, all of that would help me know. I probably want to capture something wide. I want to help. Yeah. That that's the part of the story where I need to show the room, show the energy, show the excitement, and so I need to have some equipment that's gonna allow me to do that. Yeah. And then, things that are more intimate, more reflective, more, you know, slower in pace or whatever. Those gonna be more. I want to see more facial expressions. I want to see tight, intimate shots really capture someone's attention and bring them in to a place that's more contemplative. But I don't know, I, I would say that it's probably similar even if it's just a lot of talking head stuff, like a keynote yeah. speakers, or even, I mean, pastors, like they're, right. they're telling a story <laughs> when they do their sermon. Right? They spend all week writing the story for their sermons. And there's just things that happen in it naturally that I want to make sure I'm, I'm prepared to capture. So Right. They're going to also have moments where they get really elevated in their speech and they get more energetic and they're probably going to move more when they do that. So I want to be able to capture the movement of their body when they do that because so much of what they're communicating is nonverbal as well as verbal. Oh, right. Sure. So I want to capture that visually and then be able to also get those more tight, intimate shots when they are really trying to drive home a point. And usually when they do that, they kind of plant their feet and they'll stare right down there, right down the lens of the camera and they'll make that point. So. I don't know. I think those are a lot of thoughts, but yeah, yeah. it really just, it's a storytelling thing. And I think so many people who do what I do, especially in church world, like I kind of hinted at before, because I had that experience in the post-production side of what we do, of actually capturing a story, you know, a story video or someone's testimony or whatever it is, and you're really trying to get the story out of it and then edit it to present the story. That's helped me frame how I do what I do now. And so many of us in church world, don't have that experience. And so I don't think right. they immediately see themselves as storytellers Sure, in a live video world. But I think if you were to go watch anything in the live, like in the secular world, you go watch the Super Bowl halftime show. It's one of the greatest pieces of storytelling you can ever see because like the all, every shot is intentionally designed for what's happening at that moment. Right, um, right. For someone who's not in the stadium to be able to experience the story of what's happening. Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting talking about editing and kind of the post-production side of things and then how's that how that leads to how you think about doing the live live event capturing cuz you're you're like editing on the fly almost. Yep. And I just made me think years ago we went and did an interview with the the director of the Voice TV show. So it was probably 2018 or somewhere back in those pre-COVID days and just talking to him about how he thinks about the voice. As we were talking, it came out like part of his story was he was the main video editor for Phil Collins music videos. That's cool. Yeah. Like so random. Yeah. And then 
that led to kind of just this idea of, you know, live video editing. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I feel like I had, there was, I had a switch in my mind, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago with really, I guess it was the transition in church video to this whole cinematic idea. We want to have live, live video that's more cinematic. So two or three years ago, I kind of flipped a switch in my brain that was, hey, I want to try. Well, so I would, you know, direct a conference or direct something and then go back a month later and take the footage and edit down a, mu- a music video. And then we would release okay. it. And I, and I just kind of flipped, it, flipped the switch in my mind. It's like, I want to do that live. Okay. Yes, we may have to go back and clean something up. But when I'm editing and I choose this little drum shot for literally a second and a half and I do it intentionally that fast, I want to try to do that live. Okay. Um, so that what I'm creating in real time is a, is a music video or as close to it as I can get. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of a, it was a cool way for me to start thinking about it differently. Sure. You sort of mentioned it briefly, just the idea of cinematic versus whatever the, I don't know what the alternative is, yeah. but just the more traditional iMag. For you, is it a just a storytelling device, like just one more tool to use to tell the story in a different way? Or are you thinking about something else for, you know, using more of a cinematic look? Yeah, I think, no, I think it is a storytelling device. I would want to stop and say, I often, whenever I'm talking with people and, you know, doing trainings or whatever, I often talk about what, what do we mean by when we say cinematic? Because I think it's uh-huh. a buzzword. People say it. Sure, right. And is everybody it frame says rate? It has, is it, right. yeah, is it a yeah. large sensor camera? Is it a certain lens? And the answer is yes. It's all of those things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's probably some things you don't think of, like it's lighting. Lighting is one of the biggest part, components of cinematic. Yeah. Yeah. That's why on a film shoot, they spend all day lighting it correctly, and then they go shoot, shoot for 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's that it's uh, and then it's like d- how you move the camera. Different kinds of camera movement are more would be considered more cinematic than others. So yeah, the, so if thinking through it that way, it is a a tool for storytelling. And then but so it's like you know depth of field is a tool for storytelling. I want to help direct the viewer's eye to a certain part of the frame, and then I may want to rack that focus and reveal something in that frame that they didn't yeah. know was there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're all different tools. And you don't have to have any, you don't have to have cinematic gear to tell a good story. Right. Uh, there's plenty of churches I would say you probably don't want cinematic gear because it's not going to help you tell the story. Right, right. It just depends on your room and your style. Sure. We worked together at the Global Leadership Summit this past August. And I was talking to somebody about the opening element from that program. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was a better story on video than it was in person which I think is a very, very often is the other way around. Like you had to be in the room to really experience it. Yeah. But I felt like what you did with, with the crew, with, you know, the tools at your disposal, none of them sit, you know, like maybe not the right lens or the frame rate or whatever, you know, if we're talking about technical cinematic, but just the, the ability to tell that story, just using the tools you have, the people you have to, yeah. to tell a great story. Yeah. So like I just real quick to try to paint the picture. This will be difficult, but yeah. um, <laughs> I was hesitating. I'm like, I don't yeah. even know if let's I want to get into it, but yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so the I, I was presented with, hey, here's the opener that we want to do. That was sent a script, and I was just kind of reading through it, and the script has some ideas of like how they think the blocking on on the stage is going to happen and, and all that. But the gist of it is that the story was it was the <laughs> potential paths that one person could take. So if you're yep. coming into the Global Leadership Summit, where we're going to have two days of incredible speaking and leadership and inspirational talks. You could either be the person who is really invested, leaning in, taking notes, and that could change your life, or you could be the person who's cynical, 
sits back, doesn't take notes, checks their phone all the time, and doesn't get anything out of it. That it's your choice. Which one do you want to be? And the way that my good friend Jason and the people at PulseSpark wrote this was, it was, it was amazing. Is they said, we're yeah. going to have uh, two actresses, and they're twins. So they look identical, identical twins. And we're going to, at first, it's one person that you see, and then we reveal there's actually two people. They look the same. And they just went through this back and forth acting out different scenes of, you know, one person's taking notes, one person is checking Instagram, one person is leading discussion in their groups, and one person is sitting in the corner, you know, not paying attention or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, th- this was kind of presented to me, and I was trying to figure out how do you show this visually, because for an audience like Global Leadership, there's more people watching outside the room than there for are sure, inside yeah. the room. So it's super important, and that's one of the things I want to know with my clients is, hey, who's, who's my audience? So it was very clear to me, hey, it needs to be good for both, but if we have to pick and choose one side, we, we need it to be good for people outside the room. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, the more I thought about it, I went through a couple of different versions in my head of how we would shoot this. It just get, became pretty clear, like, if, you, if you're doing a lot of cuts back and forth, it's going to break the illusion of two people who are the same, that look the same, right. that have a different path to choose. So I don't want to cut from shot A to shot B, back to shot A, back to shot B. So how could I put them both in the same frame but still be tight enough, like practically tight enough on their faces to see what they're doing? Because it's just a voiceover you're hearing and seeing them act out what the voiceover is saying. So I want to be able to see them close on the shots, on the camera shots. So I I just came up with this idea where we would actually do a split screen in the switcher. We'd have camera shot one and camera shot two on each respective person. And then we would do a split screen. And then in, in the script, when it would talk about person A, the split screen would move, and it would make the person A's version portion of the screen get larger. Yep. And then when it would contrast to person B, the split screen would move to the other side, and person B's screen would get larger. And I felt like it just really helped tell the story of, hey, now we're focusing on this person, now we're focusing on this person, but I never lost sight of what the other person was doing. Yep. And the way they did the acting was so great. So even while the person who's checking their phone is the bigger part of the screen, I could still see the other person taking notes frantically. So you always had this dichotomy of which path am I going to take? So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, fun. it was, it, it was fun. And I didn't know it was going to work, but it yeah, worked. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause I think in the buildup to that, you know, we were on many calls and we're like, we need two steady cams. We need one. Right. The, you know, just like all the different ideas that could, you know, ways we could have shot it. Yeah, when I think about, I think I was off axis somewhere, like on, you know, during that uh, that particular element in the room, mm-hmm. I was not in the center, and so I'm watching it, and like it's interesting, but you know that split of everything I'm not seeing because I'm not just right. like dead it's, center. It's not symmetrical to you. Yeah, and so like seeing the work that was done on camera, yeah, it was so great, and I think too the just the you know who's the audience, who are we shooting this for? I think if you were in the room. You could see the twin, like standing behind a doorway, so you knew there was somebody back there that, you know, like the single person at the beginning is out there by themselves, and they go through a door, and then two people come out the other side. Right. But like half the audience could see that other person <laughs> just like hanging out back yeah, there. Yeah. So they're like, oh, well, but it was also you know like less than one percent of the audience is in the room, so yeah, it's probably the the choice to make. Yeah. But I think as as I was telling that. A couple of quick takeaways. So you're right. We we talked about all kinds of things. Like, hey, do we do we bring two steady cam operators in? And that's like sounds awesome, 
It's very <laughs> yeah. expensive. <laughs> yeah. So I love that you can simplify it. Like yeah. what we did was just two tripod cameras and a switcher that had the ability to do split screen, but right. most switchers can. And so it was a simple way to do it and it told the story well. And then the other thing I would say is I presented that idea very open-handedly because I, yeah. I was like, I think this could be cool, but I really don't know. I've never seen it done. I don't even know if yeah. it can happen in real life, in real time. Right, right. <laughs> and Jeremy, shout out. Jeremy Bagwell figured out how to yeah, program the switcher to do it. But yeah, even the, even there at rehearsals, I was just like, hey, I'm gonna sh- we're going to do it this way. I'm just going to present it. You guys mm-hmm. like, you have my complete blessing to tell me it is not working. Yeah. Um, and so just having it, treating it open-handedly allows me to not get too critical and defensive when people don't like it. And it's just, it, it, that's also just another testament of it's good to be in a good environment with people that you can trust and that right. give you good feedback and, you know, you can collaborate. Yeah. How, for you, like, is that something that you've always sort of had in your back pocket, you know, just this ability to be open-handed with what you're doing and not be defensive? Or is it something that over time you sort of have learned the skill of, like, I'm not, to be overly invested in something isn't doing me any favors. And so I'm going to let go of this a little bit. No, I mean, I think, I definitely think as I've gotten older with more experience, it becomes easier to do that. Because yeah. early on, you feel, for me anyway, early on, I felt like most of my identity was wrapped up in, am I getting a good job, Rusty, at the end of something? Right. Topic for another day, but that leads to some very destructive <laughs> behavior I mean, patterns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, thankfully, I've been able to grow in that area. Uh-huh. But it also it also helps when you're working with people who have mutual trust between each other. Like I was working mm-hmm. with someone with a group of people who I know trust me and want me to bring my ideas forward, but I also know I can trust them to be honest with me, but yeah. not not destructively honest, but exactly. like, like yeah, yeah. they welcome the idea. Right. And because the idea is welcome, I'm I feel comfortable in presenting it, but also comfortable yeah. in listening to their ideas because I know they have incredible ideas also. So it's it's a combination of things. Yeah. I mean, I think so many people in our community struggle with kind of this whole, where is my identity coming from? I mean, when you said, you know, it, will I get a good job, Rusty, at the end of this? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I, mean, no joke. I can, like, I can picture myself, like, just trying to get in proximity to someone so that on their way out, they would say, way to totally. go. Totally, yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you know, you're just like loitering in the corner, hoping somebody, you know, catches your eye and says, way to go. But, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's no way to live. No, not, not at all. <laughs> and I think too, I mean, just when I think about my own life and the like that letting go of defensiveness and just being like, well, here's my idea. And, you know, if it's the best thing for the team, great. If not, that's great too. And not to be so wrapped up in it. But yeah, I wish I could pinpoint kind of when when I turned that corner. And maybe there, maybe it never goes away entirely, but getting wrapped up in who you are with what you're doing is yeah just a recipe for burnout and totally. disappointment and all kinds of bad things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, it's definitely something I still catch myself. Well, that's my, you know, that's creeping in like hey, what am I what, what am I doing this for? Mm-hmm. You know, making sure that and it's it's not to say you like I obviously want to do a good job. That's just how I'm wired. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And I want people to be pleased with the work that I do. For sure. But I don't want to be in a place where I I feel devalued if they're not pleased with what I did or but right. I just yeah you can't please them everyone yeah and people got different ideas and I'll give it my best crack and if it doesn't work then you should hire someone else next time and that's going to be fine I'll champion you 
there's something so like at odds with each other. Like the more you hang on to something, probably the worse a job you're doing at it. Mm-hmm. And the more relaxed you are with like, hey, man, if you like this, great. If not, great. You're probably doing the best work of your life. So many places I've been, it's so easy for fear to be the dominant motivator. Yep. Maybe not that somebody's saying like, we're going to make fear the dominant motivator. It's just like everybody's scared to screw up or mess up or make the wrong choice instead of like, hey, I'm going to do my best. And at the end, yeah, we can improve or whatever, but you know, I'm not going to do my best because I'm afraid to like blow it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably going to make me make more mistakes. Be timid. For sure. And I, I found too, that being in the production manager role, you know, when mistakes are happening in a live situation, it's like very rarely does like jumping on somebody like, what are you doing? You know, usually leads to more mistakes. So I've never been in a situation where someone was not aware they were making a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) They're mostly pretty aware. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like you said, you want to do a good job. It's not like you're you're motivated to like, how, how can I screw this up? I mean, I I don't think anybody lives in that zone or at least not in a healthy way. Right. Right. (laughs) We have a mutual friend that you went to their church and kind of was helping their team, you know, training them on, you know, video and some equipment, but maybe some of the storytelling stuff, like, is that a relatively new thing that you've been doing? Yeah. I I would say it's something in the last couple of years, it's really it's taken off mainly because every, you know, 2020, everyone decided, well, and I shouldn't say decided, everyone had to start broadcasting. Right. Yeah. And so you had a lot of churches that were just, you know, all of a sudden overnight had to figure out how to do it and they wanted some help. So I started to get in a few, like people reach out over Instagram and DMing me and stuff like that. Like, Hey, you know, do you have any advice here or there? You know, I think my, again, back to my history of where I, I thought I was going to be a professor. I was going to be a teacher. So there's uh-huh. always a part of me who, there's, there's a part of me who really enjoys teaching and actually gets a lot of fulfillment out of that. Uh-huh. I think it's just part of, of one of the things, one of the ways that God created me. So now, you know, all these years later, getting to do that part of it, but with my live video side is super right. fulfilling and amazing and rewarding for me. So I, that, that's why I love when I get to be a part of Philo and, you know, do a mm-hmm. breakout and people come in and it's, I used to be that person who would go to a conference yeah, and, you know, been to lots of them where I sit through a breakout and I walk away like frustrated. Like, I don't, I don't know how any of that helps <laughs> yeah, me, yeah, right. um, but also sitting in some breakouts, super inspired. So yeah, obviously that's, that's the side that I want to be on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, I mean, I think I did gurus of tech way back when. Oh my goodness. Um, it might've been the last year that that happened. That was when, was when I was 2013. Yeah. Yeah. And then Philo, I've been blessed to be a part of that for so many, so many times. Yeah. And then more recently with MXU, getting to do some training videos and some live training events. Yeah. So all of that's been, has been awesome. I've loved that part of it. And I am really bad at marketing myself. I hate it, to be honest yeah. with you. Like <laughs> just being up on Instagram is hard enough. To, every, right. time, every time yeah. I post something about video, I get all this interaction and I love it. But man, I start to get like sweaty palms. Like, I don't know what my, I don't know what to do next, <laughs> yeah. but I love the interaction part of it. Yeah. Right. But yeah, I, I'm terrible at marketing it, but I'll get people to reach out to me on Instagram and just word of mouth stuff and say, Hey, we would love to have you come out and talk to our church. And so I'll go out sometimes and, you know, sometimes I'll do a training with their volunteers. Uh-huh. Uh, Cause I think that's something that's, I love about my stories. Even at a big church like Passion City Church, I work a hundred percent with volunteers. All the people uh-huh. that run our cameras, have other jobs during the week. And even for Passion Conference, where we're, we're doing big events, we're bringing in people from the church who do not do this for a living. So yeah, 
have a ton of experience trying to get the most out of people who don't touch a camera except for once or twice a month. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll go into a church and work with their teams and sometimes do, you know, trainings for their, for their volunteers or just even like more one-on-one mentoring with their staff director or their volunteer directors. And then, and then it always inevitably is helpful. If you're a church tech, I I can imagine being a tech director who has an audio background or has a lighting background and you need some help figuring out like, what, what do I need? Or how do I make my stuff look like this? Right. Um, And so I'll do a lot of work with churches like consulting on equipment and gear, but trying to also make sure it's like, I don't want to ever just do that um, sure. because those aren't going to solve all your problems. But sometimes right. there is a combination of, hey, we need to talk about storytelling and style and how do we actually physically hold the camera correctly, how do we direct in, a, in an appropriate way, but then also yeah. how do we accompany that with the right equipment sometimes. Because if you're going to spend money anyway, I want to make sure you spend money on the things that are going to get you what you want. Right, right, yeah. So, so I used to direct video. I don't know if we've ever had this conversation. No, tell but, me more. Oh, my goodness. So the church I was at in Michigan, we were running out of space. We were renting at a high school theater. And so we you know, looked at all the possibilities, moving to a different location, and we landed on video overflow. So we had a big plan for like the room, 400 chairs down the hall at the school. We'll offer like food and coffee, and that's the only place you can get it. Yeah. you know, as an enticement to get people down there. And I mean, it was, I was full almost every service. We did three services on a Sunday morning. Wow. And when we decided, yeah, we're, let's do overflow. I'm like, okay, I'm the only person on staff tech wise. And this is like the mid nineties. So like hardly any church has had a tech person. I mean, there were some, but you know, it's not quite as regular as it is now. And like, I was the audio person because that's all I had to worry about. And now suddenly I got to like learn about cameras and right. and all this stuff and yeah, directing. And I, mean, I knew none of that stuff. And we ended up getting a whole bunch of VS video cameras nice. from the Olympics in Atlanta. Wow. So like B-Stock yeah. Panasonic was our whole rig was like, straight from the Olympics, or maybe it was the tripods and stuff like that. Anyway, I just remember it's the only way I could afford it was like going B-stock. That's pretty cool. And I remember when I gave up audio, I thought there's nothing I like more or like love more than like when the mix sort of falls into place and you work really hard, you have a picture in your mind or like in in your ears, what it's going to sound like. Mm -hmm. And for the rare moments when it actually happens, you know, like nothing can replace that feeling. And then like going into live video directing, like discovering that those moments exist there too, you know, to like see a team come together and to capture something so well. And it, it's turning out like you imagined it would. It was so, so wonderful to experience that. I mean, I sucked at a big time. I must (laughs) have, you know, there's no way I could have been good at it. I was going to say, if I ever did audio, I'm pretty sure that would never happen to me, but (laughs) I'm happy for you Uh, that happened in two different disciplines. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the, the best part is it happened twice more. So it happened for me in lighting. Awesome. Yeah. And and again, lighting, you know, it was like, I had very few moving lights. It was like very simple. Yeah. But yeah, just like the right the right choice at the right moment, so, yeah, you know, totally. oh, just oh, amazing. And then really leading a team, like to see a team come together and like have audio, lighting, video, everything just sort of yeah. like adding to what's, you know, what's happening in the room. Yeah. It's been really fun to see that progression in my life, which, you know, I didn't anticipate, but 
Right. Um, That's very cool. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, and the video toaster, when you mentioned that, that was like I learned how to edit on a video toaster myself. And then I think it might have been my first or second video, like it was real early on, and the the system kept crashing, and I would lose all the oh, man. everything. <laughs> and so I was just like, okay, look, if we're going to do this, or let me back up, I'm not doing this again on this machine. Like, right. I, I just don't have time for this. So if we're serious about it, we need to be serious about, you know, the gear we're using. So it was, somebody had donated it, and so there was probably something wrong with it to begin with, but anyway. Yeah, I'll never forget that software-based video switcher where you'd start the morning off and you'd be like, it'd be looking pretty good by the end of the second service. We're like 10 <laughs> frames behind. Yeah. It's just a slow degradation of latency. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and I think just coming back to your involvement in Philo, I was just like, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about 2015. I think you came to Seattle or Denver uh, yeah, or Denver one of those, maybe. like one of those. way back way back in the OG days of, of Philo. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, back when you did more of a regional thing. <laughs> right, yeah. 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 yeah, that was a good time. I, I just remember being in Seattle, and it was like oh, there were maybe 60 people there. And it was amazing. You know, it was, a, it was a really great time, but yeah. it was like, yeah, 60 people is not, we can't keep doing this. Right. <laughs> not going to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Just thinking about some of the stuff that you're doing in local churches, what is the best way for people to, like, if, if somebody listening to this says, oh, it'd be great to have Rusty come out and coach our team or me personally or whatever, is Instagram DM the best way or is yeah, there a, Unfortunately, yes. As I said, yeah. terrible marketing. Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, that's where I'm, I interact with a bunch of people. Yeah. And a lot of times it could just be like I, a quick question and I'll do my best to answer it. But sure. yeah, then yeah, I'll, yeah. sometimes it's, hey, let's start, start a bigger conversation with sure. how we can help each other and help your team. Right. So Rusty Anderson underscore. There uh, you is go. My, is my username. Uh, interesting. I'm underscore Todd Elliott. So it's like just the other way around. I, ju- I just wish I could go back in time and get the original. You know, just get <laughs> yeah, the Rusty right. Anderson. It's not me, though. Right. Yeah, instead it's like a guitar player. Who's who's Rusty Anderson I don't know. on Instagram? I think we'll it is some kind of musician. Yeah. Aren't they all? <laughs> 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 oh, man, that's so good. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and it's good to hang out today. Yeah, thanks for having a good chat, and Todd. It was really great sitting down with Rusty, and uh, I really enjoyed getting to know him over the years. And then the chance to get to work together just recently was super great. And if you're wanting to chat with Rusty about having him train your team or just raise the general level of video production at your church, like he said, follow him on Instagram and then shoot him a DM. And he'd love to connect with you and your team. At the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that the Philo team has been working on something to help you take care of yourself spiritually over the Christmas season. We reached out to some of the friends of Philo to help compile an Advent devotional as a way to help all of us stay focused on the point of all the work we're doing. And we did some of this last year, but we filled out the full calendar for Advent. And we're super excited to be able to announce that not only will you be able to find this on our website and our YouTube channel, but we're excited to partner with YouVersion to have the Philo Advent on the YouVersion platform. So each one is a short devotional, both written and on video for every day of Advent, which is 28 days this year, starting on November 27th and going through December 24th. You can choose to read or to watch or do both. The videos are read by the author. 
each day of the devotional. And you can also set up a group on the YouVersion app to go through Advent together with your team. Yeah, it would just be a great way to stay grounded, your entire team on the same day reading the same thing. The whole point of this has been to make sure that you have an opportunity to fill yourself up with God's word and to help you maintain a perspective that will help you get through to the finish line intact. So when these all drop, the best way to stay informed is to follow us on our social media platforms. We're at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram and at Philo Conference on Twitter. You can also subscribe to our newsletter on our website, philo.org, or subscribe to our YouTube channel for when everything drops. We're really excited for the way Philo Advent can help you stay grounded this Christmas season, and we're super excited to be partnering with version this year. All right, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time.